What an intro. Thanks, Uncle. Love you. Man, I better preach good tonight or y'all are going to want your money back, right? <laughs> no, thank you for that. Uncle Pastor Louie, I know it's funny. Some of you might not know, but that is my uncle. My mom's sitting over here. Like, it's, there's a lot of family around. So it's always funny when, when you get up here and you're like, Uncle, Pastor, Mom, I don't know what to call you from the stage, but man, it's just so loved and, and just so honored to be here with you, with you all tonight. Can we do something for a second? Let's just bow our heads and invite the Holy Spirit to, to be with us. Holy Spirit, we love you. We honor you. We ask that you would come into this room with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, wisdom and revelation. Let us see you and know you. As we spend a few moments together tonight, Holy Spirit, let the scales of our eyes fall off. Let us not leave this place just encouraged or motivated, but let us leave here being able to say that we have seen a glimpse of Jesus. It's the most important thing. That's why we exist. That's why we're here, is to see you, Jesus. So would you reveal yourself to us tonight? Bless our time together and bless your people here tonight. In your name I pray. Everyone said, amen. amen. So I'm really, really pumped up about this word, and, and I hope it encourages you, and I hope really, ultimately, it, it helps you be and find Jesus every single day. I, 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 hope, I hope it helps you find who Jesus is. I think oftentimes we get so caught up in who we used to be, or we get so caught up in who we're supposed to be, that we forget that Jesus is here now, waiting to be found by us today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but today, and I'm, I hope that you're encouraged to find him. But the title of my message is Past, Present, Future. Can we say that together? Past, Present, Future. Now, before we get into the word, I want to set up a little bit of context because we're going to look at the life of Esther for a moment. Has anybody read the book of Esther? So the story is incredible, such an incredible story. If you haven't read it or if it's been a little while since you've read it, it's really quick. You can read it in a couple, in maybe an hour or so. Just, uh, just go back and read it. It's gonna, really going to encourage you. But what we find in the book of Esther is that Esther was, uh, was this young, young woman, and, and King Xerxes was the king of Persia at the time. And, and what happened was is, is his, his queen wasn't listening, and so she wasn't queen anymore. <laughs> This vacancy opened up in the queen spot, and Esther was essentially trying out, applying to be the queen. And as she's going through this, this entire process, Mordecai, her uncle, goes to her and, and begins to kind of give her some advice. And, and, and it's important to know that Esther was an orphan, and she was being raised by her uncle Mordecai. And her uncle Mordecai said this, Esther, when you get into the palace, don't tell anybody who you are. Don't reveal that information about yourself. And now Mordecai doesn't say this, and no one says it in the story, but it's easy to, to gather the context of the story and understand this, that in Persia at the time, the children of Israel, the Jewish people, were extremely hated. Because we see later on, there's a man named Haman, and he puts out a declaration that says this. This is wild. Think about how crazy this is. He puts out a declaration and says this. On this day, at this time, I, everybody in the kingdom... Go and find your Jewish neighbors and kill them. Like, that's such a crazy declaration. But you know what's even crazier? Is that the children of Israel had an appropriate fear about what was going on, so much so that it tells me this, that those neighbors were actually going to do it. 
They were actually going to follow through with this insane command. And so what we can gather is that the children of Israel weren't very popular in this time and place. So Mordecai says, Esther, listen, you can't, don't tell anybody who you are because, because you were not who you used to be. From this moment, you're transitioning. You're coming out from who you were into who the Lord has called you to be. You're not an orphaned, peasant, lowlife, nobody anymore. You are the queen. You have to come out from who you used to be and embrace who God has created you to be. And that's a word for so, so many of us in this room because we have such a hard time letting go of how terrible of a person we were. Like, I look around this room and I see some incredible men and women of faith. But I want to ask this question. Has anybody in here ever had a past? Have you had a past? No way. I don't believe it. Miss Kathy, I do not believe it. You can't convince me. She said it was ugly. You can't convince me. No, you were, you were holy from the moment you were born. You can't convince me of that. I don't know. Some of y'all, I'm like, there's no way you, you've ever sinned before, right? <laughs> I'm joking. But we all understand the reality of, of who we used to be before Jesus. Before God got a hold of you, before he, he picked you up, before he cleaned you up, before he, he saved you and healed you and delivered you and all these things, we used to be somebody that we're not proud of. So many of us, though, we still feel like we are that person. And we live our life based on who we were, not who God has created us to be. Then later on in this story, what we see happen with Esther is that Haman comes out with this decree that we talked about, and Mordecai comes to Esther and says, Esther, you have to do something about this. And she says, Mordecai, listen, I would love to, but I can't, because if I go before the king, even though I'm the queen, if I go before the king and I'm not supposed to be there, he doesn't extend his scepter to me, I could lose my head. What is Esther doing in this moment? She is allowing what might happen in her future dictate what she does in the present. And again, that's what we do. We allow the what ifs of life to determine how we follow Jesus now. We can get so caught up in, in anxiety and worry and, and all of these different emotions that come with dealing with the next five to 10 to 20 to 50 years that it paralyzes us in our present. And we, we see so many Christians disqualify themselves based off who they used to be and, and, and live their life in fear and anxiety based off of what could be in the future. And Esther had both of these realities to deal with. And then her uncle Mordecai, I want to read this. It's in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. I kind of imagine, you know, it didn't happen this way because the Bible tells us that they spoke via messengers. You know, little, it wasn't, it wasn't Facebook messenger. It was like a, hey, go tell Esther this. Yeah, that kind of messenger. So, so I, could, I could imagine this, though. If Mordecai was, is with Esther in person, I could imagine him just kind of grabbing her face while he's saying this, right? And he says this, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And then this is the verse that we all know and we've heard here before. It says this, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows, Esther? Whether or not you are here in this moment, not, not to worry about what could be, not to get lost in what you used to be, but you're here for this moment right here, right now. 
And this is what I believe the Lord is speaking to us this evening. It says this, you cannot, as a Christian, be so consumed with who you used to be, you miss this moment right here, right now. You can't be filled with so much anxiety, so much worry, that you miss what God is trying to do right here, right now. Because you are here not to figure out what tomorrow looks like. That's not why you exist. You're not here to just work yourself into salvation because you got a lot of making up to do because you screwed up so much in your past. That's not what you're here for. You're here right now for this moment to find Jesus today. That's why you exist. You can't get caught up in the future and the past. You have to live your life for the present. And so here's the idea of the message tonight. And, and this is kind of the sentence that I want you to remember. It says this, remember your past. Everybody say, remember your past. Surrender your future and live in the present. So remember your past. Your past isn't a bad thing to remember. You're supposed to remember your past. Surrender your future and live in the present. Here's the first, we're going to get into remember your past. So here's the first thing I want to talk about for, for a minute tonight. Remember your past, don't live in it. Can you say that to your neighbor? Go ahead and encourage your neighbor. Say, remember your past, don't live in it. You know, Pastor Troy preached the message, I think it was a few Sundays ago now, but it was such an incredible message of where he had the big windshield. you remember that? That was awesome, right? He, he was talking about vision, and he said something in his message that really, really struck home with me because he talked about the rear view mirror. Do you remember that? And he said that you don't drive staring at the rear view mirror. You would get in an accident in about... 30 seconds. You can't stare at what's behind you when you're trying to move forward. But the rear view mirror is important because every once in a while you have to glance at it to see what's going on. You have to glance at it. And that's how a, Christian's, a Christian should have a relationship with their past. You cannot stare at your past and expect to see God in your future or your present. You can't live in who you used to be. You can't allow guilt and shame and all of these negative things to, to dwell in your heart and to, to, to manifest in your present. You can't do that. But you have to remember where you've come from. You have to remember. You have to remember what God did for you. You have to remember how broken, how lost, how ruined your life was. You have to recall those things. But then you have to say this, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that's, that's not who I am now. You can't live there. You can remember it. You can look at it every once in a while, but that's not who you are. Come on, say it again. Remember your past. Don't live in it. You know, there's a lady in, in, in the Bible. Her name is Rahab. Can you say Rahab? Rahab. Anybody know the story of Rahab? It's a really encouraging story. It's found in the book of Joshua. And the Bible says this, that Rahab was in the city of Jericho. And the Bible tells us that her occupation was a prostitute. She was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. Now, the people of Jericho were not Israelites. They weren't the people of God. And what happens is Joshua, the Lord tells Joshua to go and march around the walls. Remember this story with the VeggieTale version where the peas are, you know, marching around the wall and they're, they're throwing slushies down the wall. That's how I learned the story of Jericho. Um, but they're, they're marching around the wall of Jericho. The wall falls down and the children of Israel come in and, and take Jericho. But this is something really interesting that we have to know about Rahab. Because before they attacked Jericho, Joshua sent in spies to spy out the land. 
The Bible tells us that Rahab, I don't know how she met them, but she ends up taking in these spies, protecting them, hiding them, and then sending them off on their way. But before she sends them off, the Bible tells us that Rahab says, listen, you can't leave yet. You have to make a covenant with me. You have to promise, since I've protected you, since I've saved your life, please save my life as well. And those two spies made a covenant with her and said this, Rahab, listen, I'm gonna tie this little red ribbon around your window. And if you are in your house at that time when the Lord delivers us the city, you will be safe. Man, that little red ribbon is so significant because even way before Jesus walked this earth, those spies were pointing to the blood of the covenant that would cover her sin and the death angel would pass over just as the children of Israel painted the doorposts with blood and that death angel passed over. Rahab experienced the power of the blood of Jesus before he ever existed. She received salvation because of that red ribbon that was tied on, the, on her window. This is the really cool part of the story, right? The Joshua children of Israel come in, Rahab's in the house with all of her family, and she is saved. Do you know what she does? She becomes, even though she wasn't, she becomes a part of the children of God. She joins the nation of Israel, and she lives her life out with the people of God. And the story gets even better. When you look in the Bible, we see that Rahab was in fact the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Which is crazy because she wasn't even supposed to be there. She was a prostitute living in a foreign nation. She was not even supposed to be a part of the children of God, let alone be the descendant, have Jesus as her descendant. That's crazy. But this is such something so beautiful that I want us to grab hold of tonight. Rahab didn't get caught up on where she was or who she used to be. She embraced the present reality of what God had done in her life, and she literally and figuratively brought Jesus to the earth. This is our calling as a Christian. Listen, you and I, we're in sin. We are the Rahab prostitute. That's who we are. With, without the blood of Jesus, without that little red ribbon, you and I don't make it. We don't do anything. Like he is the reason why you and I can stand boldly before the throne. But what you have to understand is that once Jesus brings you out, don't forget about your past, remember it, but don't live in it. That's not who you are. The Bible tells us that if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. You have been made new and born again. And you have to embrace that. Because just like Rahab brought Jesus into this earth, that's your job now. You can't live in, in the brokenness that you used to live in because your job is to bring Jesus into this earth. That's who you are. You're a presence carrier. You carry the presence of the living God on the inside of you. Don't, don't keep thinking that you're that awful, sinful person that you used to be. You're not. And I know some of you are thinking this, Pastor, what if my past isn't, isn't too long ago? <laughs> what if my past is like 20 minutes ago? Here's what I have to say about that. Either Jesus died for your 20 minutes ago past and your 20 years ago past, or he didn't. He doesn't differentiate between how recently you've sinned or not sinned. But here's what I want you to understand is that when you, when you, when you live your life living in the past, you get stuck in sin. And that's why I know a lot of you in this room are struggling with it. 
Because if you're truly, really struggling with sin, the odds are is you're stuck in your past. And here's what I mean by that. You become whatever you behold. That's why, that's why Jesus, is, his desire is for us to worship him. Because he, he's not egotistic. He doesn't just need our songs and our praise and our worship. He doesn't need those things. He understands something, that you move toward what you worship. What you hold in front of you. And so many of you are beholding your brokenness. Beholding your sin. Paying attention and looking at how messed up you are. And then you wonder why your life constantly moves in that direction. Because you become what you behold. What you and I have to do now instead is strip sin of its power and say, say this, listen, I'm not giving you any attention anymore. I'm not paying you any mind. Yes, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. But that's where I know and trust and believe in the blood of Jesus that covers me and washes me. My job isn't to try not to sin. My job is to find Jesus every single day. And my promise is when you begin to live your life looking for Jesus, you'll begin to forget about your past. You'll begin to forget about your sin. You know, I was addicted to pornography for years probably almost a decade. And I was a Christian the entire time. And every single day, my desire was to be free, to be free, to be free. But the problem was, is I was holding up my addiction and focusing on it. And it wasn't until I accepted the love of the Father, the forgiveness, and understood it's not based on what I do or don't do. It's based on his blood. I stopped focusing on it. I started trying to find Jesus every day. And it was like taking off a jacket. It just came off. I thought it was bound in chains and I needed somebody to pray for me and deliver it. No, 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 you just take it off. And, and, and you do that by doing this. Jesus, I'm not giving this any attention anymore. I just want to see you. I just want to see you, Jesus. I want to find you today in my present. I just want to know you. Remember your past. Don't live in it. Here's the next thing. Surrender your future. Everybody say, surrender your future. future. Don't worry about it. Surrender your future. Don't worry about it. I want to paint a picture for you because the next person we're going to talk about is, we we know him, but I really want us to embrace the significance of this decision that he made. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus went around um, when he was first starting his ministry and he would kind of I had imagine it kind of like a really big game of duck, duck, goose, right? Have you, have you played that game? Where Jesus comes over and taps Peter on the shoulder and says, follow me. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to follow you. And he taps this person, follow me, follow me, right? And he's just tapping all these people. And he goes up to Matthew, and the Bible tells us that he, he finds Matthew in his booth, in his little tax, tax center, because Matthew was a tax collector. He says, follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. But I want us to really understand the significance of the decision that Matthew made because to be a tax collector in that day and age was a couple of, it meant a couple of things. Number one, it meant that you were very wealthy. It meant that you had a lot of money. And you had a lot of money because you were kind of a thief. (laughs) Remember the story of Zacchaeus where he meets Jesus and Zacchaeus says, oh, I'm going to repay all of the things that I took, you know, I wasn't supposed to take, right? He, he felt bad after he met Jesus. That's a different thing. But anyways, so, so Matthew, Matthew was wealthy and he was kind of a thief. But here's, the, here's this other significant thing. We know Matthew was young. 
He was a very young man at the time. And so to have this kind of perfect storm of these three things, what we can assume of Matthew's life is that he was in a very prestigious position for his age. Like he got into this, he got into this, this very prestigious position where he would be wealthy. He was, his future was set up, right? He had a retirement plan. He had health benefits. He had a 401k. Like he didn't have to worry about where he was going to live. He didn't have to worry about how he's going to put food on the table. He had a secure job. He knew that as long as the Roman Empire existed, I could collect my tax and put money in my pocket, put food on the table, pay the bills, do what I need to do. And then Jesus shows up and says, hey, tag, you're it. Let's read what he says. It says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. Now just think about that. Let's pause for a second. You're Matthew. You're sitting in your dream job got all the money in the bank, you feel good about the next 20, 50, 60 years of your life. You got it all figured out. You've got a great job. You know what the future is going to look like. And then Jesus comes to you and says, get up, let's go. What do you do? I mean, we know the right answer, right? We follow him, but how many of us in that position would really be able to walk away from all of that? To walk away from the security, walk away from knowing what tomorrow looks like. Because listen, you're basically, what you're agreeing to is leaving a really good paying job to go be homeless with some rabbi that no one even likes. That's what you're doing. You're saying, okay, I'm gonna leave this and I'm just gonna go wander around Jerusalem with this guy that nobody even likes. He's going to end up dying anyways. Like, what, what am I doing with my life? You know, his parents were probably like yelling at him. Matthew, you're throwing away your future. You're making a terrible decision. But what does he do? He gets up and he follows Jesus. He, he doesn't, he's not concerned. He's not worried. He's not anxious about what might happen. What Matthew did in that moment is he realized, I don't have to worry about my future. I just have to make sure I find Jesus now. And I found him. I found him, and I'm going to get up, and I'm going to follow him, even if that means I don't know what tomorrow looks like. Even if I don't know for sure what 2, 10, 30 years down the road looks like, I know that I found Jesus today, and that's all I need. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, somebody say everything. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So do that. Let your requests be made known. God, I need this. And then, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. It's powerful. But the unfortunate reality is that many of us don't experience the peace. We pray the prayers but we don't experience the peace. And this is why you don't experience the peace. Because your prayers have conditions with them. Your prayers require that God clarify what he's doing, when he's doing it, why he's doing it, how soon he's going to do it. Because the truth is, we don't like to really surrender control. So we say, God, I surrender my future to you, but just, just tell, me, tell, me what I'm, tell me all the details. 
Say, God, I give you my future, but I just need you to, I just need you to like, like inform me on your plans, right? Let me know what's going on. Because we really don't want to surrender. We just we want to know what God's got for us. But there comes a certain level of faith and trust when you're able to do this. God, I know whatever you have for me is good. I give it to you. I'm not going to worry about how it's going to happen. I'm not going to worry about what it looks like or where it looks like or how much it looks like. I know this, God, that you're a good father. You're going to take care of your children, so I give you and surrender my future. You and I have to learn how to surrender our future truly, and when you do that, when you truly learn how to surrender your future, the peace of God will be able to guard your heart and mind. Here's the trick, though. Oftentimes, you're going to have to surrender it multiple times a day. (laughs) You might have to surrender your future every five minutes for like two weeks, right? Like, because life is stressful and there are very real due dates and timelines and different scenarios where you're like, God, there's pressure here, God. You got to do this. And then you say, okay, okay, I'm going to surrender. I surrender it to you. Oh, God, I don't know. I surrender it to you. But here's what you have to do, Christian. Listen, please. Every single time you feel anxiety, worry, insecurity rise up in you, surrender it. It doesn't matter if you surrender a hundred times a day, but give it back to him. Give it back to him. Every single time you feel it, say, I'm not holding on to this anxiety. This is not my problem. My future is not my responsibility. It's the Lord's responsibility. So I surrender it to you, God. And then the next day when you wake up with overwhelming, overwhelming anxiety, surrender it again. Don't get discouraged because you keep, it, oh, it's not working, it's not working. No, 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 it, it is working. You gotta keep surrendering. Keep surrendering, keep surrendering. And give it to the Lord. Here's the last one. Live in the present. Don't miss it. Live in the present. Don't miss it. I want to I look at a guy who who's, he kind of makes a cameo in the Bible. We don't really know much about this guy. But we do know this, that, that Jesus was crucified in, in the midst of two thieves. We know that one thief who's dying for his own sins mocked Jesus ridiculed him just like everybody else. But there was another guy that actually believed in Jesus. And I want to read this. It's found in Luke chapter 23, verses 42 through 43. It says this, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Something interesting about this thief. He was unable in a sense, to live in his past because his past had caught up with him. Like, there wasn't, there, wasn't any, there wasn't any, like, pleading with Jesus. You know, like, he's literally on the cross with Jesus paying for his sins. There wasn't, like, Jesus, forgive me, Jesus, like, I'm sorry, Jesus, like, you're, you're paying for it, right? Like, he, 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 he realized, I can't fix this. So there wasn't any living in his past. And he didn't have much of a future, sadly, He wasn't concerned about what would happen in the next couple weeks. He knew that that was his last day. So this guy, because of his circumstances, was forced to live in this present moment. He was forced to live in this present moment. And unlike the other thief who missed who Jesus really was, this guy didn't miss Jesus. He didn't live in his past. He wasn't living in his future. And he, he found Jesus in this moment. In, in the present moment, he found Jesus. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, as surely I say to you, 
Today you will be with me in paradise. In this moment, I showed up, I'm here, you're with me, and you didn't miss me. You found me so you can be with me. This is my, this is my desire for me and for you, for every Christian on this planet, is that we would not miss Jesus when he shows up. When Jesus walks into your life, I don't want to be so consumed with what's going to happen tomorrow that I miss out on my encounters with Jesus today. When Jesus walks in the room, I don't want to be wallowing in guilt and shame and condemnation for what I used to be that I miss Jesus walking in this room. I, I remember years ago, and you know, my uncle talked a little bit about it, but as I looked up toward, you know, Dr. Kayton and I, and I saw him and I, I saw his life with the Lord, you know, like he's, he's amazing. I, I feel like he's got Jesus' number like on speed dial. Like he, him, and, him and Jesus talk all the time. And I remember as a young man thinking, I just want to be that. I want to have that. And, and, and that's not a bad thing to aspire to, but what I realized is that I was constantly living my life looking ahead and I was missing out on my experiences with the Lord now. Like, here's another way of looking at it. Who in this room has been married for, let's say, 30 years? If you've been married for 30 years, that's incredible. All right, let's say 40 years. Keep your hand up. 40 years. Whoa. 50 years? Any 50 years? Got, got, got a couple shakies. Okay. 55? How long have you guys been married? 54 years? 60 years? Oh my goodness. Like, okay, I want, you to, I want you to think about this, right? Because I've been married for, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, seven years, seven years. It's going to be eight. It's, gonna be, it's coming up on eight. I've been married seven years. I can't wait to say I've been, like, I can't wait to be in, like, these church services and people ask that. I'm like, yeah, I've been married for 50 years. I can't wait for that, right? But, but here's, here's how you make it to 50 and 60 years, you live your, your marriage life every single day. You don't get caught up in, oh, one day we're going to be, no. Because one day doesn't happen if you miss out on the present. If you're constantly unavailable for the present, one day's not going to come. One day comes, 50, 60, 70 years comes when you're present every single day. You can't get caught up in the future. You got to get caught up in the present. And I read this verse in, in John chapter 1, and it, it wrecked me. And I, I want to share it with you. Hopefully it won't wreck you too much. But it says this, that there was a man, John chapter 1, verse 6 through 11, says there was a man sent from John whose name was John. There, sorry, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Something about that didn't make sense to me. <laughs> this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Talking about John the Baptist here. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And then in verse 9, it goes on to say this. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Watch this. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And when I read that, my heart broke because I began to ask the Lord, how many times did you come to me and I didn't even see you? How many times did you walk by me, Jesus, and I didn't even know it was you? Like, think about this for a second. The son of the living 
God, the Word made flesh, God himself walking amongst his people, they didn't even realize it. They, didn't even, they weren't even aware. And all the while, John the Baptist is standing there and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. So that means, that tells me this, that you can, there's a possibility of recognizing Jesus. You just have to be ready for him. You can find him if you're looking for him. But if you're so caught up in the other things of life, you will miss him. You, a Christian, somebody who loves the Lord, have the ability to miss Jesus. And this is my prayer for you and for me, is that we won't miss him anymore. That we'll find him, we'll see him. Every single time he shows up, we can say, just like John the Baptist did, there's the lamb. There's the lamb of God. I found him. There he is over there. He's he's in Walmart walking down aisle seven right there. The lamb of God's over there. Like everywhere we go, we find him in every single moment. Do me a favor. Stand to your feet as we close in prayer this evening. Jesus, we just come to you and we, we ask that you would, you would help us to find you, to see you, Jesus. Let, let not those words be describing our relationship with you, where we only know you as Savior. We only know you as a free ticket to heaven, God, but we don't know you as, as the Lamb of God, as, as Lord, as, as majestic, as beautiful. We don't know you as these, these things. We don't want to miss you anymore, Jesus. When you come into our life, we want to find you. We want to see you. I pray right now for those in this room who are so caught up and weighed down by their past, so caught up in who they used to be and their imperfections and their flaws and their shortcomings who think for some reason that they have something to contribute to the salvation that Jesus paid for by his blood. I pray right now that as we put down our sin, we put down our, 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 our addictions, the things that have trapped us, as we stop looking at those things, Jesus, and as we start to find you every single day, I just declare freedom right now in the name of Jesus over those who are struggling, over those who, are, are, who feel less than, who feel guilt and, and shame and condemnation flooding their life. I just declare right now that that has to go in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father God, for those who are struggling and dealing with anxiety, worry, any amount of of looking forward and and feeling anxious or unsettled, God, I I just thank you right now that, that you've already sent your peace and that as we surrender our future to you, God, the peace that you supply will surpass our understanding. It'll guard our hearts, our minds. I thank you for for freedom from worry and anxiety right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father God, that here in this moment, we're freed up to find you, Jesus. And I pray that the same way that so many incredible people have marriages that are in the 50, 60 year range and and how you look at people like Dr. Kayatun who has has decades worth of following the Lord. I pray, God, that you would help us, enable us to build a history with you, our own history, Jesus. Our own history that happens every single day. 
Would you reveal yourself to us, Jesus? We don't want to be like the religious leaders who who studied the scriptures and knew tradition and religion, but when the Son of God showed up, they missed him. Let us be like John the Baptist, who leapt in his mother's womb when Jesus filled the room, who declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let us be very good at finding you. We love you tonight, Jesus. We bless you. In your name I pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. You know, as we close tonight, what I want to do is I want to ask maybe some altar ministers, if, if y'all are here, or somebody to come up for, for a moment. But I want to ask two questions before we leave, because I'll, I'll ask them. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you've never met him, what I don't want to do is do you the disservice of saying, all you have to do is pray a prayer, repeat after me, and then you don't have to worry about Jesus anymore because you just go to heaven. You like you got your salvation, you're, you're on your way to heaven. What the Lord has been convicting me of as of late is this reality, that Jesus can't just be your savior, he has to be your Lord. And this is what it means. He died on the cross to give us the free gift of salvation. That is the goodness of the Lord. That's the good news. And if you're here tonight and you say, you know what, I want that. I want to go to heaven. I want the good news. There's, that's, that's good, but I'm not going to sugarcoat things because things get kind of tricky from there. The truth is, is that now you have to lay yourself down and follow him. You have to lay down your desires. You have to lay down your life. And he can't just be your ticket to heaven. He has to be your Lord, your boss, your ruler. I don't know what other word to say to make us understand, but he is in charge. He has to be in charge of your life. And so in a moment when we dismiss, if that's you, you say, you know what, I, I, I want to. Jesus says this, to count the cost. This shouldn't be something you just flippantly decide. This should be something that you say, you know what, I'm ready to lay everything on the line for him. I want to follow him. And if you're here tonight and you want that, when we dismiss, I don't want you to go that way. I want you to come up here and pray with one of these individuals. And second question I have for you is this. We have, well, I have one rule, is that you're allowed to struggle in life, but you're not allowed to do it alone. That's the one rule. You can't struggle by yourself because we're family. And family don't allow one another to struggle by themselves. And so if you're here and you're going through difficulty, if you're struggling in your faith, if you're struggling in any area of your life and you say, you know what, I just need somebody to believe with me or pray with me or, or give me a hug or encourage me, whatever you need, you can't do it by yourself. That's the only rule. And so when I dismiss, I wanna invite you to come pray with one of these ladies and, and gentlemen up here as well because we believe that there's power in this family. There's power in prayer. There's power where two or three are gathered together. Amen? So do me a favor, live right, love everyone, pray hard, and we'll see you guys next time. I love you all very much. Remember to come this way before you go that way. And we'll see you Sunday. Have a great rest of your week.